Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Naughty Rude Show here on Sin. I am Zach, and today, as part of our Melbourne Fringe coverage, I am here with Olivia McLeod. Hello, Olivia. How are you? Hi, good. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. So you are putting on a wonderful show for Fringe called Pash. What is Pash all about? So Pash is my debut show. It's the first full-length show I've written, and it's a one-person monologue, essentially. Um, And it essentially is about a 24-year-old woman who hasn't had her first kiss yet, and she's turning 25 in seven days. So she decides that before she turns 25, she has to have her first kiss. She has to get it over and done with. She's sort of built it up in her head to be this romanticised sort of movie first kiss, and now she's just like, whatever. It just has to be what it has to be. So the monologue is essentially about the seven days leading up to her birthday and everything she does to try and have the first kiss. So it's all, like, on the clock, just got to get it done by yes, this point. Yeah, so there's a little bit of, like, hinge-type stuff. There's sort of, like, trying to flirt with her co-worker and also just trying to get over her own sort of sense of anxiety around um, trying to, like, flirt with people when it's not something that she's really that comfortable with. And so there's a little bit of comedy, a little bit of drama. It's a lot of fun. Sounds very fun. Sounds very fun. Can you tell us a bit about the main character? Yeah. So Max is, as I said, 24. She's bisexual. Um, It was really important to me to write a queer character that coming out wasn't a part of the story at all. So that's just something that's pre-established. She's sort of got a bit of a crush on her co-worker, Kara. She's got a bit of a crush on someone else in the show that I can't talk about yet, (laughs) Um, unless you see it. Um, And she's at that point in her life where she's done her degree in creative writing and she's kind of like hasn't really made that next step. She's sort of on a bit of a gap here and it's not a huge part of the show but something I really wanted to write about as well is that point in your sort of like early to mid-20s when you know that the rest of your life is supposed to be starting soon and you're sort of supposed to be getting to those milestones of like a master's or maybe a career, but she's still living at home as many 24-year-olds still do, still living at home, hasn't really like made those next steps and part of the first kiss is... She hasn't. She sort of feels like if she hasn't even achieved that milestone, all the rest that has to yet to come is still so far away. So a lot of the show is about um, recognizing why milestones feel so important to us and why they feel like they have to happen in a certain way. Right. And did her kind of story and personality? Where did that come from? Um, I mean, it, there's. A lot of similarities and a lot of differences. I did not have my first kiss at 24. <laughs> I had it when I was much younger, but. I know for myself, growing up as a teenager, I still felt even after I'd had my first kiss, I had so much anxiety about things going right. And if I really inter- interrogate that now as an adult, I couldn't I couldn't even tell you what it was that I wanted um, out of my sort of relationships as I was growing up. And I feel like with her, that sense of like perfectionism, which everyone's sort of a perfectionist, but she, Max is particularly worried about things going exactly right. And so I tried to sort of tap into that anxiety and like sort of dial it up to 10 where maybe you do get to that age in your life where you haven't even had your first kiss yet because you were so worried about it being the right experience. 
So, yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, she gets this idea of wanting, like, this movie first kiss. Mm-hmm. Did, did that kind of play into coming up with the show at all? Like, seeing all these really done up first kisses in media and... Absolutely. So that was something I, when I started writing the show, did sort of like quote unquote research where I asked all of my friends about their first kisses. I did sort of, had sort of like interview questions about how did you feel about it before it happened? Did you have any sense of anxiety um, about it needing to be done? Oh, because that was the other thing. I desperately, desperately wanted to have my first kiss. I wanted to just have all of those sort of like first experiences as soon as I could when I was young um so I'm really I was really interested in why that was why that was the way for me and seeing if that was across the board and I found that a lot of the time people were like yes I was like 16 or 17 and I felt like I was so late I was so embarrassed which is so it's not it's not really a thing but it's something that everyone feels um so it's not a thing that you should be embarrassed about at all um but yeah on top of that then I did a lot of just watching like top 10 movie kisses which makes a little appearance in the show and just seeing the way that things always like look so perfect and amazing in movies and the idea as well of um, finding our other half I was interested in. Now, you can only interrogate so much in one show, but I was interested in the idea that you sort of, I think a lot of um, pop like movie culture is about finding your other half and once they have that like final kiss, the movie ends and then the rest of life like ostensibly begins. But, yeah, it was I kind of wanted to talk about, like, what happens if you haven't reached that point yet and how do you – and especially because Max is, like, a huge fan of musicals and, like, she talks about musicals a little bit. Um, so I studied music theatre, so I wanted to put that in. Like, she, there's sort of a recurring theme of the sound of music going throughout the show. Um, but, yeah, so that was basically – like, it was nice to even just, like, watch a lot of those, like, films again and just see how how those stories are put together essentially. Were there any that stuck out as like, you know, you remembered this one specifically as like being good or bad or... Yeah, Love Actually. I watched that um, for Christmas and I'm having a complete mental blank about why, but I know that like so many of the relationships in Love Actually are just sort of... Well, they're so like... um, romanticized essentially like a lot I mean there's so many storylines in there but so many of them like they have their kiss and then that's their story done and and and, I mean I love the film I know it's sort of problematic and everyone's moving past love actually I think there's some some great stories in there but yeah I remember just the way that relationships are depicted as like does not feel that realistic at all so yeah I definitely talk about that one a lot oh yeah that's the one that I bring up is like Colin Firth meeting this woman that he never he never speaks to her in English because they don't speak the same language at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then he moves and says, I think we should be together. I think that's ridiculous. But that's what Max, uh, like Max is at a point where she hasn't quite locked onto that yet. And she still wants that whole experience for herself. Right. Because there's the idea of like, it's a fun sort of fantasy. And you, yeah. you, as you get older, you're like, okay, it's obviously not realistic. But when you're young and that's what you're seeing everywhere, it feels like it should be real. Yeah, exactly. That, like, running through the airports type of romance. And there is, a, like, a, I mean, the whole show is a monologue, but I just discuss, like, monologues within the monologue. There's a little monologue within there where she talks about, she's like, I want all of those first kisses. I want, like, even the Lady in the Tramp style thing. I feel like I deserve that for myself for my first one. But when you put so much pressure on one experience, it can never live up to that which is essentially what the show is about. <laughs> well, speaking of the show being a monologue, so this is an entirely one-person show. You do mm. everything by yourself. Was it always going to be like, did you want to make a one-person show when you were coming up with the idea? And- yeah, I think I did. I um, 
it came out of a point in my life last, oh God, yeah, start of last year where I essentially just didn't have anything coming up. We'd just gone into lockdown number 5,000. I couldn't even tell you which one. And I didn't have anyone that was like presenting themselves to collaborate with me. And so, and I'm a huge fan of Fleabag. I mean, so, so many people are, but I'd seen that show and I think that was the first one-person show I'd seen. So I, yeah, after that was like, okay, that's definitely a possibility. If I can't find anyone I want to write with or no other opportunities are presenting themselves, I'll write a one-person show at some point in my life. And then I essentially just locked myself in for Fringe of last year. Like I did the sign-up, I did the photo shoot. I didn't know what the show was going to be about. Um, but I said, like I said, it was going to be about first kisses. I came up with my logline, enough to do the... Um, what's the word, like the application, and then put it in and then started writing the show. So when I brought my director on, Miranda Middleton, who's wonderful and everyone should work with her if they can, um, I had essentially written it that it was me telling the story as Max and when other characters came in, I was like, oh, well, there'll be voiceover. And she was just like, I think we cut all voiceover and you do all of the characters. And we just worked on being able to differentiate when I was playing someone and how to like construct conversations between two people. Um, as though they're both in the room when you're in reality just playing both of them, which was a huge, like, it was difficult for my mind, but once you get used to it, it's it's great. I way prefer it that way because you have so much control as well on stage. Right, so you play all the other characters. Like, it, it's mostly Max, but when other people are talking, you still just jump into it yourself? Absolutely. So it's kind of like, you know, when someone's relaying a conversation to you and they'll, and they'll say to you, oh, so the barista said this and I said that. Instead, I just become the barista. and oh, wow. go Yeah, so, but I saw it. I just went to Edinburgh with the show. And what was amazing there was there was so many one-person shows, like more than I've ever seen before. And it was a huge, it was like almost a, um, a genre in itself was one-person things. And I saw so many people do it so well and in ways that I felt like I was watching two people talk to each other. So I'm so excited to do it again in Melbourne Fringe and just get better at it because it's like it's a skill in itself. I love one-person things now. <laughs> and this is the, like, because you did this show at Edinburgh Fringe and at uh, the Melbourne Comedy Yeah, show. yeah. So this will be, like, the third run of the show. Yeah. Has it, like, changed over time or...? It has. It has and it hasn't. Like, I did the Comedy Fest run and I'm a huge drafter. So by the time I think it had done 10 drafts before it got to Melbourne Comedy Fest... Um, and I was relatively happy with it, but then I took it to Edinburgh and there were some very Melbourne-specific jokes. There were a few lines that I was just like, oh, I just don't like that. And something my director said was cut everything that you're not sure about or anything that you don't love doing change because at Edinburgh you do the show 25 times in six, day, in six days, in 26 days. <laughs> um, that would have been crazy. Um, so you do it. Like I had one day off in the whole month and you're doing it so much that I, in the first few days, was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm scared I'm going to hate the show. And I ended up just finding more in it. So it feels like a completely different show, but I think I've just gotten better in it and that I'm way more comfortable. I haven't – I was really, like, locked after the Comedy Fest season. Um, but, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't changed massively because I think when I got to Edinburgh, I was seeing other people's shows – I started to be a bit like, okay, I'm done with this material. I'm ready to write something new. So I was like, let's just leave it as is. We'll do one more season in Melbourne. I still think it's a great show, but after this, I'm really excited to write something completely new and completely different. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. <laughs> Did you find the audience was different at Edinburgh? Did they receive the show differently from Melbourne? Or? Yeah, and people, even though I'd made it less Melbourne-specific, 
I felt that when I ha- had a couple friends come through and I could feel when there was the right demographic in the room, like at the end of the day, the people that would respond to the jokes the best are probably like 18 to 30-year-olds that are ideally queer but fine if not and have a university educated because that's just who the character is. But also you don't even have to really be university educated. There's just jokes about finishing university. So when those people were in the room, particularly Melburnians, and I think it is just when someone completely gets your sort of like culture's humour, it was just, it would pop off. And then there would be nights where you'd get a room where you just like, they'd laugh, but just not in the same, you know, you can hear when someone is laughing out of complete recognition. And that was the best feeling. I also think British audiences Um, because it's mostly a British audience, even though it's in Edinburgh, are so much more polite. (laughs) They're a lot lot sort of, like, quieter and sort of, like, laugh to themselves. We're loud here. Yeah, yeah. we're very And we're very loud when we really appreciate something as well. So, yeah, and I had... um, Because Edinburgh ticket sales are just unbelievable. It's it's such an intense experience taking a show there Um, because you might have 22 people in one night and then three the next and then seven the next and then 40. It's There's absolutely no... In Melbourne, it's usually more linear because, like, local audiences will tell each other, but because the, the people in Edinburgh are constantly changing, it will be all over the shop. And my friend said this really great thing where he was like, it's better to have four people who get it than 30 people who don't. And I really feel that because the the night I filmed it, I had six people in, but they laughed at absolutely every joke. And I looked at it and I was like, you were exactly the demographic I wrote this for. (laughs) It's like a bunch of young queers. And I was like, this is why you're laughing (laughs) because you get it. Yeah. Uh, That's great. Well, you're back in Melbourne, so hopefully you'll get some more of those crowds. I hope so, yeah. And uh, I just want to change change course a little. Here at uh, here at the Naughty Rude Show, we we love to give a bit of advice to our listeners. Mm. Uh, what sort of a, what's one piece of advice you would give to anyone like Max, someone in that position, mm, who wants to have their first kiss? Yeah, yeah. or someone of that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think also when you're, I mean, I'm currently 24, so <laughs> I know how it feels to be at that age. Um, I think in terms of like first kisses for any age. And this is a lot of what the show is about, is there really there really is no rush. And I know this is such a basic thing to say and everyone says it, but I think with any milestone and so much of what the show is about is just being t- – a lot of it is really more about milestones and feeling at any age in your life that you should be hitting certain things. Um, and that's something I'm consistently grappling with. I'm about to turn 25 and I know that there were so many things I had in my brain that I was like, I should be doing this by 25. And there's a great quote I saw that was like, thinking you should do something by a certain age is killing the youth because you essentially are just never feeling like you're enough or that you're doing the right stuff. And I think as m- just trying to remember all the time, especially for myself, that like my path is the path that I'm on and that's the right path because it's the one that I'm doing and everyone is going to be at different spots. And if you are at 24 and you haven't had your first kiss yet, fine, wait and make it like have it be good or have it not be good and that's also okay because first don't have to be perfect and they're often not. Thank you for the wonderful <laughs> advice. Yeah, I hope that was a good <laughs> advice for someone. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure someone will hear that and feel feel something about good. it. You know, that's all we're here for. And uh, if people do want some more, maybe not advice, but uh, more entertainment, mm-hmm. where can they find Pash and they yourself? They can find more information on the Melbourne Fringe website under just Pash. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia McLeod. So that's M-C-L-E-O-D because it's a hard spelling <laughs> for some people. And there's all the information about the show on there. And I'm also on Twitter at the Olivia McLeod. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Naughty Root Show. It was great to chat with you. Everyone listening, make sure you check out Pash. That is running October 11th to the 13th and 18th to the 20th at the Speak Easy Theatre. Make sure you check out Olivia's work. Thank you for coming to the show. Thanks so much for having me.